Please be seated and turn, if you would, please, in your Bibles to Psalm 46. Uh, Psalm 46, which is the, the, the basis, it's the, the foundation from which Luther uh, wrote his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, is a, a well-known psalm among the people of God. Uh, it's a psalm that, uh, that opens with a statement of confidence uh, and though many refer to this as a psalm of confidence, it's that kind of psalm, uh, it's almost too weak to call it a psalm of confidence. It's a, a psalm perhaps of defiance, a psalm of such deep and profound confidence that it shouts in the face of its trouble. And so this morning as we, uh, we look at Psalm 46, we're going to spend uh, a lot of our time in the opening verse, this great statement of confidence, of faith in God, uh, the sentiment is repeated in verse 7 and again in verse 11. And these three verses, 1, 7, and 11, give shape and structure to the psalm. This morning, we're going to consider verse 1, and we're going to, to take as much truth out of verse 1 and comfort that comes from that truth as we can. And then we're going to consider what two results are, two realities are, because of what is true in verse 1. Two ways that the Christian lives in this world as a result of this truth this morning. Let me pray for us, and we will read Psalm 46. Fathers, we come to your word. We come to those who know ourselves to be weak. We know that we are a broken people, a fallen people. And this week in particular, though there, there are always for some of us reasons to be grieving, reasons to be sorrowful, at this time we come united in a particular way in our sorrow and in our grief, but also their forefather in our hope. And so as we read Psalm 46 this morning, we pray that your spirit will be at work in the reading and preaching of your word, that that, that word that goes out as we know from the scripture would not return void, that you would be faithful to accomplish all that you have ordained to accomplish this morning in your word. Be with me, Father, uh, as I preach. Give me strength and boldness. Father, I pray that we would be comforted by this word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the, its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, 
Uh, we're going to again start here in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. We, we see several things here. Uh, first of all, that He is our refuge and strength. The things that are true in verse 1 are true for us in a very personal way. God is not an impersonal God. He's not a mere force. He's not a feeling or an idea. But God is a personal God and He is our God. The things that were true for the psalmist and the psalmist's people are true for us today because we too are God's people. It's as though the psalmist says here, you may put your trust in who and what you will. We will trust in God. And he says this in the context of suffering. He says this in the context of fear, in the context of concern about what might happen. Throughout the psalm, we have the the earth melting in verses 2 and 3. We have uh, the city of God under siege in verses 4 through 7. We have God at war in the world bringing peace in verses 8 through 10. In that context, the psalmist cries out and says, you are my refuge and my strength. All saints, God is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in trouble. We've had our fair share of trouble this week, haven't we? We've been sustained in that trouble by God, who is our refuge and strength. It's not just a statement of faith here, but an acknowledgement of His love for us and commitment to us as His people. God has taken it upon Himself to be our protection upon Himself to be our strength and our power in times of trouble. If you're putting your trust in God, the Lord, then you are secure despite being in the midst of trouble because God is your refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength, the psalmist says. He's our refuge, a place to hide. There is no other refuge that is sufficient. Everything else is shifting sand Many things have the appearance of refuge, of protection, of a place that you can go and find rest and peace. But it is only an appearance of refuge if it is anything but God. And it will ultimately fail us. Political solutions will surely deliver us from these evils, right? If we can just get this right in government, if we can just pass the right laws, set up the right rules, then we can find the peace and the rest that we need. It's very tempting to think that way, isn't it? Very tempting to hope that government will deliver us, that government will provide the rest and the peace. Tempting to think that if we apply enough money to the problem, now this one hits home, doesn't it, here in Brentwood, If we just apply enough money to the problem, we can find the refuge that we need. And though the the right allocation of resources may in fact provide some relief, it cannot ultimately be our salvation. We may see an improvement briefly if we just throw enough money at it, but like any other defense, it's ultimately penetrable. The, the problem here in 
in putting our hope, our trust in anything else is not only that it will ultimately fail us, but it's that we instinctively know that it will. And what that means is it is no rest now. It is no comfort now. Hiding and resting in a fallible fortress is no rest at all, is it? But God and God alone is our unfailing and impenetrable refuge. The psalmist says not only that God is our refuge, but that he is our strength. A source of strength to stand up under the troubles of the world. And no other source of strength will be sufficient but our God. All other strength is weakness. Paul is, is hanging on this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God is our refuge and our strength. Thanks be to God that he is indeed our strength. We see in this verse as well that he is an ever-present help in trouble. Brothers and sisters, in the face of our trouble, God is not hard to find. The psalmist cries out at times, where are you? But he always turns... He's, he's addressing himself to God even as he cries out, where are you, isn't he? God is right there. And not in a, in a hallmark card kind of way. For those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is living in us. The Spirit dwells in us. God is never further away from you than you can get from yourself. He is present by his Spirit in you. He is present in this word that he has given to us. He is present in the community of brothers and sisters that we appeal to and that we flee to for comfort in the midst of such times. And in this community, what comfort do we find but saying to one another in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials and tribulations, saying to one another, God is there, brother. Sister, God is present. He knows. He loves and he provides. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present or very present help in trouble. It's strong language the psalmist uses here. He is with us, Emmanuel. The name given to Christ in Isaiah, which literally in Hebrew means God with us. Spurgeon says that 
here we find the truth that God is more nearly present than even the trouble itself. We don't have to go far. God does not hide himself from us. He is present in us by his spirit. He is ever present in trouble, and in this we learn that there will be trouble. The Psalms are nothing if not honest, are they? I mean, the the psalmist never pretends that there is no trouble. Nowhere in the history of God working in his people have we been given reason to believe there will not be trouble in this life. But in the midst of that trouble, he is ever present. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ is ever present to us in our trouble. We ought to turn to him. I was uh, preparing for Sunday school and came across Uh, We'll revisit it here in the next hour after uh, worship while we're in Sunday school. But in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah has been pouring his heart out in prophecy to the people and been ignored. And because of that, uh, he, he seals the prophecy up to be preserved until the day that it will be fulfilled so that the people of God will know that God spoke the truth to them. And listen to what he says about this people. He says in verse 16, this is Isaiah 8, 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? Brothers and sisters, he is an ever-present help in trouble. He's present to us by his spirit and by his word. How do we take refuge in God and find our strength in him? We do so by believing the promises of God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Refuge is found in him Notice in John 16 that I read just a moment ago, he says, Jesus says of himself that in me you may have peace. How do we answer those who this week taunt and say, where is your God? All of your expressions of prayer are useless, powerless. If God was real, if God could have done something, if God loved his people, this wouldn't have happened. There is no God. What do we say to those who taunt? What do we say to those who doubt? Because if we're honest with ourselves, while we are still clinging to Christ, at the same time, we are saying to God, where are you? Why did this happen? We point those who taunt to the God who saves, and we put on display in the midst of this suffering such acts of faith and resting in the face of wickedness 
that the world will be confounded. This is verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Now, brothers and sisters, if, if, if this is all you take this morning, is, is verse 1, meditate on this verse this week. If you are trusting in Christ, repenting of your sins, this Jesus is yours. He is your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so, if these things are true, then how must we live? The psalmist goes on in verse 2, Therefore, so the result of this truth, the result that God is this way, and the result that He is our God, that Jesus Christ is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, is that we will not fear. Not now, and not ever again. The claim isn't that we won't experience fear but that in the midst of fear, we are taught to turn to God. And what we will hear from Him when we turn to Him is, do not be afraid. The psalmist doesn't just assert that he will not fear. He says it's because of this truth. When we fear, we turn to God's Word and we find God Himself saying to us, I am your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear at the judgment, at the end of all things. That's what these verses here are getting at. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's an uncreation that is happening here. It's the judgment of the world as we find it described in other places. We will stand fearless in the face of the judgment of God against the world. We see the same kind of language further down in verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts in the same way that we're even now studying in Genesis in our regular Sunday morning series, that God spoke and there was light that God spoke and all things came into existence and were placed into their order in the same way on the final day, God will speak and the earth will melt. And we will be there in the city of God, fearless in the face of it, because He is our God. The Lord of hosts, verse 7, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We will not fear at the judgment, and if we will not fear at the judgment, if we will not fear at the, the destruction and uncreation of all things, what could we possibly have to fear now? What is there in the world more powerful than the God who will destroy and who says to us now, I am your God, I am your refuge, I am your strength, I am your help? Not only will we not fear in the future, but there is no reason to fear now, though our enemies surround us. Nothing can harm us unless God wills it, and God only wills it for our good and in His perfect wisdom. Now, this is the nature of faith, brothers and sisters. It's hard. God didn't say there wouldn't be suffering. He expressly told us there would be, but He has told us in the midst of that suffering not to fear, not to lose heart, 
Jesus Christ has overcome the world. This is, this is seen if we stop long enough to think about the promises that we find in Scripture in the fact that even when the world does its worst, it can only do the work of God. We saw some of the worst that the world can do this week. And at its worst, it translated our brothers and sisters into the presence of Jesus Christ. Yes, it robbed us of the joy of having them with us for these few short days in this fleeting life. But they are together with Christ now, and we will see them again when we join them together in the presence of Christ. And that's the worst the world could do. Are we afraid that there won't be justice? Are we afraid that that nothing can be done to find the justice that is needed. Listen, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, all justice is perfectly executed. I have said it before, and I will say it again. Every single unjust act in all of history receives the wrath of God. And by his grace and mercy, it was received in Jesus Christ for those who are in him. That's, that's one of the primary ways that Scripture teaches us that Jesus is our refuge, is because the just wrath of God fell on him while we were hidden inside of him. And if you will not trust in Christ, then you will suffer the wrath of God against all of your unjust acts for eternity. What happened on Monday is receiving its just reward, the wrath of God. Are we afraid that there will be an injustice in the world that's not answered answered by God? Scripture tells us no. It's not only accomplished, but it is accomplished by God himself and therefore perfectly. What will we fear? Will we fear death? There's a story, and if I remember correctly, because I didn't look it up this week, I think it's Martin Lloyd-Jones, who laid uh, dying in the hospital. The hallways were filled with brothers and sisters in Christ praying for his life, and he sent a message out into the hallway, tell them to stop praying. I'm ready to go. I I want to be with Christ. And he so deeply believed in the power of prayer. He was worried God was going to answer their prayers. And he was ready to go. Do we fear death? No. Brothers and sisters, there should be no fear of death. Whatever it is that we might fear, all of it, is consumed by and under that heading of the the great words of comfort that Christ gives us. I have overcome the world. It's not enough that we would not fear. That, That is not sufficient. It's not enough to say, don't be afraid. God says to us, be glad. This is our our final point this morning. Be glad now and forever. It is not enough that we need not fear. 
God makes us glad. Look at verse 4. There's a river. Uh, There's intentional comparison happening here or contrast in these verses. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. In contrast to the sea that foments and rages in the opening verses, there's a river in the city of God whose streams make glad the city. Listen, the source of our gladness is Jesus Christ. Let's just get straight to that point. Jesus Christ and the grace that is ours in him is the source of our gladness, and we are that city. Ezekiel 47 Revelation 22, places that speak about this river running through the city and being a source of life to the people of God. Jesus himself tells us that he is this river. In John 4, he's speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And we who are trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation are those who have drunk of this living water. Listen, we are the city of God, and Christ is that stream. Brothers and sisters, you have already drunk from the river that flows through the celestial city and makes glad the city of God. And so we are glad now. This this river and this city are now, and we have drunk from it, and so we are glad. And how much more then when God has established peace forever? Look at verses 8 through 10. All of this language here uh, is, is looking to the future. The city in verses 4 through 6 is under siege. That is our present. We are the city of God, and we are under siege, but we shall not be moved. God will help us when morning dawns, a reference to the Exodus account. Uh, when morning dawns, what a strange thing to say. Why when morning dawns? Uh, it's thinking back to the, the great act of salvation because Exodus explicitly says that it was as the morning dawned that the waters came back together in the Red Sea and drowned the chariots and the the army of Pharaoh. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. That's now, but it's not just now. Look at 8 through 10. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And often this sentiment here in verse 10 is taken out of context. It's not spoken in Psalm 23. This is not the quiet uh, comfort of God to his people as he whispers to them in the midst of trouble, be still 
and know that I am God. He's speaking to his enemies, and it is a command. It is the be still on the lips of Jesus Christ in the midst of the storm that is uttered here by the psalmist. Be still, and you enemies know that I am God. One can't help but think of Philippians 2, that Jesus Christ, one day, At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The psalmist anticipates that day here. God will say, be still to his enemies, to those that rage, to those that foment. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Brothers and sisters, why not fear? How can we possibly be glad? Because God has not only made promises to us and expressed his love to us and shown his faithfulness to us to keep his promises over and over again, but he tells us here in his word that what is ultimately at stake in keeping his promises is his own name. And God can no more abandon us, fail us, than he will abandon or fail his own name. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And how will he be exalted? By crushing his enemies and delivering his people. And we are that people. We are that city. We take comfort now in the truth of what it is that God has promised to do. Eternal life has already begun for those of us who are in Christ. The greatest enemy is death and has already been conquered by Jesus Christ for us. And though we don't have peaceful circumstances now, we have peace in the midst of all circumstances because of who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised he will do. We know that a perfect peace is coming, and this hope is secured for us already in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in the face of such a week, we trust in Christ. We, we turn to him, and him alone is our sufficient refuge and strength. We know that he is present with us, living in us, and by his word, and among his people. There's a reason that we so desperately want to be together in times like this. It was wonderful for those of us who were able to be here Wednesday night just to be present together and to hear those promises repeated once again, to comfort one another, not with empty words, but with, a, with pointing to the promises of God in Christ for us. This is how we're to be living. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. What do we do with all this then? We lean into Christ who is our refuge and strength. We cling to Christ, who is our ever-present help in trouble. If we are afraid, we seek him in his word and among his people and in prayer. We drink from Christ, who is the stream that makes glad the city of God. We rejoice and give thanks and take heart, because he has overcome the world. Let's pray.